This morning's reading is taken from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, starting at verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is God's word. Jonathan, thank you very much. And uh, let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, thank you for the full assurance we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that as we've uh, worked our way over a number of months through this book of Galatians, you've been hopefully thumping into our heads and into our hearts that for those who trust in Jesus Christ, there is absolute assurance of your love for us, of our eternal security, of our place in your kingdom. And so now, in the full assurance of that love, would you help us to love one another, we pray. Amen. Well, then we spent the last few weeks um, thinking about uh, how you grow in the Christian life, how you uh, push on to uh, maturity, make progress. And as we've said, just so as throughout the whole letter of Galatians, it is by faith. Uh, it is by trusting in the work of Jesus Christ and the promises of the gospel that we grow. It's not just how you enter the Christian life by trusting in Jesus Christ. It is how you grow in the Christian life by trusting in the promises of the gospel. Not by uh, uh, unraveling a, a great long list of laws and thinking, well, I'm just going to grind these rules out and uh, that way I'll push on to maturity. No, says Paul, it's by faith. By faith in the gospel, letting the security of who you are in Jesus Christ, that God is your father, he loves you as his child, in the confidence of that relationship, trusting that he's a father who will provide what you need, enjoy living for him. That's on the, uh, um, I don't know if you saw in the week, the uh, tickets went on sale for uh, 2012. Uh, Olympics, or kind of, you know how it works, it's an incredibly convoluted system. But anyway, now you can, um, you can sign up for tickets, which you might potentially get if you're fortunate, um, uh, from Tuesday. And so they're interviewing a lot of uh, celebrity 
Olympians. One of them was Tom Daly. Do you know Tom Daly? He is a young lad. What is he, 15 now? Um, and he's the world diving champion at 10 metres, I think. It's 10-metre board he's the best at. Um, but anyway, young lad, and he's very good at what he does. The, the, now, it set my mind at thinking, and uh, in the last Olympic Games, uh, he was the youngest person in the Great Britain team, uh, age 14, competing in the Olympics, and uh, he was there uh, being interviewed in Beijing, and his dad was with him because his dad is always with him, looking after him. And uh, the interviewer said, Tom, how do you deal with the pressure? Now, there you are, you're on the board, you've trained for the whole of your life, and you have whatever it is, 1.7 seconds or 2.8 seconds, and months of training goes into that, and how do you just not wobble and fall in, um, which would be a bit embarrassing. How do, you, how do you deal with the pressure? And he said, well, you know what, if I, if I messed up, that would be gutting. But Daddy would still love me. And uh, we'd go out and have dinner together, so it would be all right. It would be all right. I thought it was a very sweet answer, in one sense, from a 14-year-old boy. And uh, he didn't do particularly well. Um, so hopefully he did go out for a nice meal. Of course, the next year, the next year, he becomes a world champion, gold medal. Uh, and the following year, he's, he's a um, Commonwealth champion, uh, gold medal. His dad wasn't with him at the Commonwealth Games in, in India uh, last year because um, his dad was back in the UK struggling... Um, chemotherapy and an interviewer said to him Tom so you know, how long are you going to keep going you know, go, you know push on to the Olympics and then how long will you keep going he said well I guess I'll keep going as long as I keep enjoying it and um, as long as I can keep putting a smile on my dad's face I'll keep going that's very that's very lovely isn't it I mean whatever he is now 16 very sweet now what essentially what is driving Tom Daly Desperation, I must prove myself, I must achieve. No, I just want to make, I like it, and I want to put a smile on my dad's face. And if I bog up, well, he still loves me, so what does it matter really? Does it matter too much, does it? Now that's the Christian life in one sense. So we live the Christian life thinking, I want to put a smile on my father's face. I want to become more like him. But if I mess up, and tomorrow I have a dreadful day. Well, I know, I am fully assured that he still loves me. So I'm not anxious. I'm not driven by insecurities to try and earn my father's affection. I'm driven, but because I just like pleasing him. And he's a lovely dad. Two very different ways. Not driven to achieve, because otherwise I'll be nothing, but enjoying living for the father. And that's the Christian life, as we've been looking at in the book of Galatians, that is life by the Spirit, trusting in the promises of God. He is a father, he loves you as his son or as a child. But chapter 6 then says, okay, let, let, let's live that out a little bit practically. Let's give a few examples. And uh, two mistakes we could make that uh, chapter 6 will uh, prevent us from doing so. The first one, very briefly, the first one, a mistake to make as a, in the Christian life would be just to reject rules or commands altogether. Well, I'm a Christian, uh, and uh, Paul says, uh, I'm a, I, so I just live. I don't need rules. Rules are bad, aren't they? Well, no. No, Paul will, in chapter 6, give a number of them, a number of laws or rules, you could call them, or commands that will help live the Christian life. Let's, again, be clear how it does so. So biblical laws are a bit like me when I go home and lift up the sofa. 
that we have a fairly heavy sofa. If I lift up the sofa with two hands, underneath I will discover dust, children's sweet wrappers, little bits of toys, um, pieces of jigsaw puzzle that we couldn't complete. You know, they'll be tucked away underneath the, uh, the sofa. But uh, there I am, I'm holding the sofa up. I can't do anything about them because my hands are, I see them. I see there's problems. I see there's all sorts of things. Oh, look, you know, pound coin, super. I see there's all sorts of things underneath the sofa, but I can't do anything about them because I'm holding it up. And the law is a bit like that biblically. So it'll come to our lives and reveal what's there. It'll show us areas in our life that we need to change. But the law won't change them. Change happens by God's grace. Change happens by living in the spirit, trusting the promises of the Father. So law is very good and it reveals things that need to change, but it won't change you as such. But law is good and there are various little laws here in chapter 6. But uh, the second mistake we could possibly make, and uh, here's where we focus today, is think, I'm a Christian, God is at work in me, and I don't need anyone else. And I'll, you know, I don't need anyone else. And chapter 6, very clear, yeah, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. You do need other people. You need me, and I need you. And that's how we live the Christian life. And I don't know if you noticed as it was read, but Paul here, he sets up a very high level of intimacy. And are you comfortable with that? I wonder. Uh, I'm not entirely sure I am. But this is how we live the Christian life. A friend of mine, is, uh, he's a minister of a church in uh, Hertfordshire, so sort of north of London. Um, it's fairly rural. And uh, it's an incredibly wealthy place uh, where he's the minister. So it's a sort of, um, there aren't streets, there are sort of meandering lanes. And uh, there's a house every half mile or so. You know, it's that sort of area. And they have massive gated double iron gates. And uh, you push the answer phone and, you know, video camera opens up. And um, it's it's sort of lots of footballers and uh, wealthy uh, Arabs actually live there. It's that sort of community. It's incredibly wealthy. But he says church in that area is a bit odd. He said because people take that sort of way of living into church. So they kind of have gated lives. And um, they come to church and they've opened the gates. But still, relationally, their lives are a bit gated. And if you speak to them, you're on the video camera. And they'll just keep you a little bit distant. You don't have to live in affluent Hertfordshire to live that way. You can live here and act that way. Be relationally gated. You're there, but um, you're not coming in, really. How are you? I'm fine. How's your... Yeah, polite. Very easy to be nice uh, and relationally gated. But Paul will push us a little bit beyond that if we're going to live the Christian life. So two things, two things. It breaks down a little bit like this. Verses 1 to 5. First of all then, carry one another's burdens is the point of verses 1 to 5. Carry one another's burdens. Oh, look, but bear your own load. We'll come to that. But bear your own load. So first thing, carry one another's burdens, verses 1 to 5. Now, um, the general principle comes in verse 2, really, uh, and then there's more detail to come. The general principle is verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Um, 
the law of Christ, not a new set of rules. You know, oh, here's the new law. No, just you'll be like him. That's the sort of character he is. He carries burdens, supremely the burden of sin, but he carries our burdens. Be like him uh, as you relate to other people. Now, implicit in this, I guess, is the sense that life is a journey. I don't know one's strong enough to make it on their own. Carry one another's burdens or each other's burdens. Sometimes uh, you'll need help. Sometimes you'll be the helper, but sort of one another's. It'll vary at different ages and stages. Carry one another's burdens. Now, of course, it takes place in lots of different ways. It could be financial. You might bear one another, bear someone's burden financially. If uh, the quarterly magazine that comes out with the Church Connect, I don't know if you uh, read it, you should. The, um, but uh, I put a little thing in there. One thing that struck me over the last few months, uh, uh, one individual in church had a pay rise. Not enormous, um, but a pay rise. Uh, but it came to me and said, this individual over here is out of work. And they're getting quite low. Can you, the church, employ her one day a week? And I'll pay for it. I've just had a pay rise. That'll, that'll, that's equivalent to one day a week. Uh, would you do that? Well, yeah, of course. That's magnificent. You don't want the pay rise. Well, of course I want the pay rise, you fool. Um, but I don't need it. I don't need it. I've survived without it. And uh, they need it right now. Emotionally as much as anything. But also financially that'll help. That's terrific, isn't it? Just carrying someone's burden for a little bit of time. Financial, practical, can be very practical. Uh, the exhausted mother who needs someone to come and give her a break or, or just to sleep uh, at some point. Yeah, the very practical um, newborn baby and the sort of meal rotor swings into action to provide a, a fortnight's worth of meals. It's just very practical. I mean, big things or, or, or small things. Emotional. Sometimes people need emotional help with their burdens. The, one who, the person who is fragile and needs our support, depressed and needs our company, grieving and needs our comfort. We ebb we and flow. Sometimes we'll be able to help. Sometimes we will need help. Bear one another's burdens, he says. That's the general principle here. But verse 1, if you see, the, he does have one specific burden in mind that he really focuses on. Verse 1, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Now here is the particular burden he slightly focuses on of someone being caught in sin. Ah, how much do you want people involved in your life? Now, this is, not, this is not a task for the elite. So, brothers, uh, anyone, any of you who are spiritual should restore him. Uh, that's not, um, you know, you have to have been a Christian for 10 years and you get your badge. Well, congratulations, you are now spiritual. Um, just anyone who's a Christian is spiritual. They have the spirit, God's spirit, dwelling within them. That's a spiritual person. So everyone's involved in this. But it's striking, isn't it? Brothers, you really ought to be involved in one another's lives, helping one another, relieving people of the burden of their Sin? Gosh. Now, broad brush, two, two mistakes you could make in this sort of area. One, you could steer clear, or two, you could storm in. Both are not good. <laughs> Just briefly then. Uh, first, you could steer clear. 
So, um, I don't know, husband, a husband looks at a younger man and mentions to his wife, you know, I see that guy and, uh, you know, he's in a pretty bad, you know, there's a repeated pattern in his life of sin and it's not good, it's getting him down. I wonder if I should say something. And wife says, oh, don't get involved, don't get involved, don't get involved. Oh, uh, lonely to trouble. Oh, uh, just, you know, that's just, you know, it doesn't need to be two people. You might think that yourself. I, maybe I should go and speak to him. Look, I see the way he's relating to his wife. It's not great. Oh, I shouldn't get involved. I really want to get involved. It'll just be trouble for me. I'll just steer clear. I don't want to hassle. I don't want to hassle. You know, that's a fairly natural way we might choose to think, to steer clear. But you see Paul's assumption here, you should. Verse 6, you should restore him. The sense of obligation. If you can see someone caught in a repeated pattern of sinful behavior that that, that is grinding them down. You should get involved. You have a debt, a duty to be involved. Oh dear. I guess the picture's a bit like this. Um, You can look around at the many lovely people here, uh, but you uh, imagine the person next to you and uh, uh, next Sunday they, they come into church and they've got a couple of bags of cement on each shoulder. You know, cement powder, not made up. But they've got a couple of bags of, I don't know if you've done it, they're heavy. A couple of bags on each shoulder. I mean, if, if you're thinking of someone impressively strong, give them three or four. You know, the, uh, you know, a sort of, you know, one or two men here, they could handle, you know, but enough that it's really, you know, the legs are, are buckling. And you see them stumbling into church with these cement bags on each shoulder and they're clearly in trouble. What do you say? You say, can I help you? Can I help? You've clearly, you're being burdened there. Can I help you for a little bit? It's that sort of picture. Someone is caught, burdened by sin. Don't just look at them and say, oh, they've got a problem, haven't they? Oh, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to be involved with that. Um, they get involved. Of course, the picture doesn't quite work. Because the person carrying the, uh, the cement bags, they're probably going to say, yeah, help. Well, actually, the chap here, or the woman here in verse 1, um, I, I think you have a problem. Can I help you with it? They might say, I have no problem. No problem here. So, of course, it's a bit different. I get that. But there's an obligation to be involved, to help out. So don't steer clear, says Paul. That's one mistake. Don't do that. You'll get involved. Restore them. The, uh, the second mistake on the other side will be to storm in. To storm in. Now, uh, the... Surely not many, but maybe one or two. Read verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and think, yes, my kind of verse. Yes, brothers, if anyone caught in sin, you should restore him. Yes, here I am. Here's my list. I've been waiting for this verse for months. Off we go. Who's first? And uh, can sort of look around the church, and, and um, oh, you have a lot of restoring. There's a lot of restoring to be done here. Well, no, don't storm in. Uh, a couple of things just in the verse which uh, should help us. First, this is for someone who's caught in a sin. So not just one off. Uh, can I, just, uh, I saw you earlier today and you were a little harsh in your manner. Uh, can I just rebuke you for that and, and help you? Can I just remove you of that burden? No, it's, it's a repeated pattern. Someone is caught, trapped in sin. Our, um, our car, the battery went on our car on Monday nights, had to get the AA man out. He uh, replaced the battery. Electric windows are a bit odd. They go a bit doolally when you replace the battery. So he said, can you, reach your, can you um, just play with the button? So I put my 
the, uh, he said, it won't go up on you. And so I was playing with the button. Of course, the window did go completely up, and my hand was trapped. And it was very embarrassing. He sort of looked like a lemon, of course, when your hand is trapped. And I needed his help. He had to go into the car and release it because you got, you know, trapped. A re- trapped, caught. Not just a one-off. This is, if you see someone in a repeated pattern. And the other thing here, do restore him gently. Uh, I enjoyed this literally in the Greek, mend him. Restore, mend, repair, gently, if they're in trouble. If you've had, if for some reason you're caught in a, caught in a bad accident, in a car accident, and you, you know, your leg is trapped, you don't want someone to, oh, I'll help you, I'll get you out of the car, and just yank. That would be, ow. You want someone to gently unpick the wreckage, get you out, gently you want your bones set. No, sort of, can I just set your, reset your bones? <coughs> you know, that would, oh, you know, you'd, gently. You want it done gently. And Paul is saying, just so. So the attitude, of course, is not, excuse me, I've been observing your life. And um, I think I probably have to say you're the most self-centered, proud, and arrogant person I've ever met. And I've checked with some others, and we all agree. <laughs> I hope that's helpful. Goodbye. It's, you know, that, gently, 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 gently. Look, we've known one another a while. And I may be wrong, but I wonder if. It, you know, don't come back at me now. Go away and think about it. If, I, if you think I'm wrong, forgive me. But I wonder if. Can I say this to you? And let's. You know, come back, tell me if I'm wrong, let's talk about it gently, gently, gently. Now Paul says, watch out when you're doing this. It's very striking, isn't it? There are these, uh, chapter 6, these five verses, and they're all about if someone is caught in sin, oh, don't worry about them, you who are addressing them. It's all about the person who's addressing. I mean, there's a lot of warning here, but uh, essentially verse 1, watch yourself. Because you may also be tempted. And I think in context, the temptation is to pride. So verses 3 and 4. If you're going to gently point out that someone is caught in sin, watch out that you're not tempted to be proud. So verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone others. Now I wonder if, actually... Pride can be behind both of our, perhaps, natural responses to steer clear or to storm in. I wonder if pride can be behind both of them. I think. Now remember, um, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, this is everyone. Everyone is behind this. But let's think about um, how it might work. So steering clear, how might pride be behind that? So perhaps you, um, you observe a marriage... And you think to yourself, uh, I, I, it's not good. The husband, he dominates her a bit. Actually, when you see them interact, there's a, there's a lack of respect. He doesn't seem to take her seriously. That's not good. And that is a burden upon both of them. She's being crushed. He's sort of being puffed up. It's not good for either of them. But, I don't want to interfere. 
I'd want to interfere because it, it, uh, I, I, if I was them, I wouldn't want anyone telling me anything like that. And um, gosh, if I get involved in their lives and start pointing out things there, they might say, what about you? And start asking me. Uh, and I don't want that. I don't want that. So actually, I'm just going to, my relational gates are just going to go up. Because if I get involved in that sort of way with people, I'm opening the doors. <laughs> and then my life is going to be exposed. I don't want that. I don't like the sound of that. So I wonder if actually pride can encourage us to steer clear. I just don't want that level of accountability, honesty. So I'm not going to even start with someone else. Let's just all pretend we're nice and then uh, we can keep everyone at arm's length. Maybe. I guess more obvious is pride being behind uh, storming in. This, uh, this sort of attitude which basically comes in and says, I am something spiritually. I have observed. And uh, I'm, you know, I just have, have appointed myself the church restorminator. I just come in and um, restore people and I leave debris in my wake. I am the sort of restorminator of the church. You have very much to learn from me. I think you'll find I have lived life and let me pass on my wisdom like this upon you. Uh, the storming in and the pride behind storming in, perhaps that's more obvious. Well, Paul says, can you do us all a favor in verse four? Just test your own actions first, please. Don't compare yourself to other people. How about compare yourself with how you used to be? If you think you're more mature, give thanks. If you think you've gone backwards, repent. But just, just do that first, will you? Or I guess, more simply, as Jesus put it, do, do remove the plank from your own eye before you address the speck in someone else's. Uh, otherwise, you'll watch out. Your plank will just grow. If we mix those two passages together. And ultimately, he says, verse 5, well, look, everyone should carry his own load, which is ultimately, you have to give account for your own life. So don't be confused, verse 2 and verse 5, they're saying very different things. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens in this life. Carry the burdens of others in this life. But verse 5, you do have to bear your own load before Jesus Christ when he judges you. Ultimately, I can't, I can't ultimately give account for your life and nor you for me. So there's a limit. There's a limit. But don't stop you being involved. Just, just don't be proud about getting involved. Okay? So carry one another's burdens. Don't steer clear. Oh, it's just too much effort to be involved. Why? Well, if I'm involved, I have to be honest about my own life. Don't steer clear. Don't storm in. But carry the burdens of others. And in particular, if you see the burden of sin distorting someone, if you see they're just being a little crushed out of shape by their, I don't know, problems in their marriage, by their materialism, by their lying, well, get involved. Bear one another's burdens, he says. And then um, let's go to the second half, six to ten, which really is an encouragement to keep going in that. So verses one to five, I carry one another's burdens. Verses six to ten, really, don't give up on carrying burdens. Don't give up on carrying burdens, but so to the Spirit. Verses six to ten. 
Now let's, uh, let me try and establish the main point of the paragraph, and then we'll get to the detail. I think the main point comes in uh, verses 9 and 10, where you get the, uh, the injunctions or imperatives. Verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good at the proper time or reap a harvest. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Let us, that's the main point of this little paragraph. Don't give up. Don't just say, oh, I'm tired of this. Don't become weary in doing good. Do good to all people, particularly, particularly believers, the, uh, the church family. That's the main point. Don't give up. Now, uh, in that context, what, what are the details doing? Verse 6. I mean, that's a bit random, isn't it? Was Paul just a bit short of cash? So he thought, let me smuggle in a verse and hopefully they'll notice it and uh, someone will send me a check through the post. Verse 6. Anyone who reaves in, receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Now, I don't think it's random. But I think in context, the point is, Bible teaching is incredibly important for restoring those who are caught in sin. That is one of God's most common ways of doing it. You, someone teaches the Bible and you think, that's me. I'm doing that. Oh dear. It's one of God's most common ways for um, helping people be restored. And secondly, it's crucial, in verses 7 to 10, crucial in preventing us from becoming weary. Because actually to be involved in people's lives is tiring. To be honest, it's tiring. Oh, it's incredibly rewarding, of course. But it is tiring if you give of yourself. And the Bible teaching is we all need that. Not just on a Sunday, but midweek, which is the, the words of encouragement to one another. Yeah, of course. We need those to stop us becoming weary. So share. Share all good things. Yes, financially, but you know, share good news with those who teach you as well. I'm incredibly grateful to be part of a church that recognizes this, acknowledges this, is uh, entirely willing to pay some to be set aside full-time to uh, study the Bible, to teach the Bible. It's a wonderful thing. Then verses 7 and 8, this is serious. Don't be deceived. Which, of course, means you might be, and some of us probably are. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Don't mock God. Don't take him for a fool. He sees everything. And he hates being mocked. I don't know about the rules you have in your family for... Um, for bringing up children or the rules that you had in your household when you were brought up. I remember years ago hearing a, a terrific talk in many ways. Uh, uh, Don Carson, who's a, who's a professor, uh, lecturer, but also a, a very good Bible teacher, talking about how to bring up children. His, this is a few years ago, so his children were teenagers at the time. And he said, for teenage children, there was one rule. One rule in our family only. Everything is up for discussion. Can I go out tonight? Can I take the car? Can I go away and stay overnight? Everything is up for discussion apart from one thing. In our family, we do not tolerate sass. No, I'm English. I had no idea what that meant. Um, but I think it meant impudence, rudeness to your parents, mockery. We will not tolerate that. Everything else is up for, everything else is up for conversation. But that, no. And God will not be mocked. You can't treat him with a lack of respect. And, and to pretend he doesn't know how we're living our lives, you're just mocking him. 
No. Don't mock God. You'll reap what you sow. It's an obvious metaphor, verse 7. You'll reap what you sow. If you sow, as most of us do on midweek, sow potato seeds, um, you're not going to grow tomatoes. If you plant a vineyard, it's not going to give you oranges. You reap what you sow. If you sow to the sinful nature, you'll reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, eternal life. Now, generally in Galatians, those are two broad ways of living. Either you think, I will assert myself, I will earn my place into God's kingdom, or I'll trust that Jesus has done it for me, broadly, in in Galatians. That's what those two things mean. Here in these verses, I think it is still particularly focused on bearing burdens. If you sow to the sinful nature, that is, if you say to yourself, I have got no time for anyone else. I have got no money to bear anyone's financial burdens. I've got no energy to help anyone emotionally. I've got nothing to give. And that is a repeated pattern. Look, we all have those days. We may have those weeks. Some of us have those years. But if that is your life, always, I have nothing to give. That's saying to the sinful nature. Sowing to the spirit, I think here in this context, bearing burdens being involved in the lives of others. And as verse 10 says, look, believers should be concerned for all people. But there's a realistic focus here. There are limited time. There's limited resources of time, money, energy. And the the two things the Bible would highlight, one here, focus on believers. Jesus would also say, Luke 10, focus on your neighbours. So the people who come into contact with all the time and then the household of God. Be realistic in how you spread your energy. There's a limit. But be involved with others. I love the honesty of verse 9, really. I love it. Let us not become weary in doing good. Because you carry bags of cement for someone else. That's wearying. That's wearying. It's exhausting. And carrying burdens for other people... It always has a cost. Always. You give up your pay rise to fund someone else. There's a cost. You've gone without something there. You give up your time to go and visit someone else, to make a meal for someone else, to help Mavis move on a Saturday. There's always a cost. There's something you've gone without to help someone. Emotionally, you take another phone call from George, and you know it's draining. There's always a cost. Always a cost. It's wearying. That's love. That's love, isn't it? That's a sort of biblical love that way. Loving other people is costly. So how do we not become weary? Last thing. Last couple of thoughts. How do we not become weary? Two little things. I think you need to know you're a farmer and you need to know you're carried, very briefly. First, you need to know you're a farmer. You need to understand this metaphor, uh, verses uh, 8 and 9, that you reap what you sow. Um, Imagine two farmers. I don't know if you know farmers very well. I've met a farmer. But imagine two farmers, and they're sitting down, and they're having a cup of coffee together. And uh, one of them them says, anyway, John, enough of this. I've got to get up, and uh, I've got to sow. It's the autumn time. I've got to sow seed. Uh, so sorry John, nice cup of coffee, thanks for that, off I go um, and John says, well hold on a minute, why are you doing that? You've got a, you've got a barn full of grain I've got a barn full of grain what, 
and you're going to get up and give some of it away to the ground? You're going to take some of what you've made and just throw it on the ground? You're mad. Why would you do that? Just sit on your grain and you've got plenty. Grain's expensive. You can sell what you've got for lots of money. Don't just throw it on the ground. But John, we're farmers. That's kind of what we do. And also, if we don't, you'll have nothing next year. I'm taking some of my grain and investing it. I'm sowing it for next year. And I'll do the same again. And you know what? Sometimes I think, oh, it's autumn. Guess I know what that means. Time to sow again. That's what we do this time of year. It's wearying. The same old cycle, year on year, year on year. But the year I stop doing that, then I'm bust. It's no good just sitting on our assets of grain. You just have to keep sowing and sowing. Because when you sow, it grows, you reap. And that's Paul's metaphor here. Do we get that? You have to know you're a farmer in the Christian life. Just keep sowing. Keep giving. Keep giving of yourself. Because eventually you'll reap an enormous harvest. And actually if you stop giving, if you stop sowing emotionally, financially, practically, if you stop giving to other people, well then, the Christian life, you'll wither. You'll wither. Just keep sowing. Keep sowing. Know you're a farmer. You need to know that. Know you're investing for the future. And the second little thing, well, you need to know that you're carried, that you're being carried. That this sort of love, a love that gives even when it's tired, that's the love of Jesus Christ. That's the love he's shown to us. It's the love he shows even now carrying us. In one sense, remember Tom Daly's face or Tom Daly's attitude. If we mess up, If I mess up, my father still loves me. If I do well, there's a smile on my father's face. I'm carried along by that. You try and bear one another's burdens on your own, that's wearying. That's really wearying. The only way you can do it is know that you're you're carried. Jesus has taken burdens off of you. You don't need to prove yourself. You're not going to take George's phone call because you have to. You have to, otherwise you're a bad Christian. You're going to take it because I know what it means to be loved. And I'm going to share that to someone else. Know you're a farmer. Know you're investing for the future. Know that you're being carried. And then bear one another's burdens. Let's pray together. Our loving Father, you know what state uh, many of us are in, if we have uh, plenty of energy, but uh, for many of us, we're weary. And bearing the burdens of others is exhausting. But uh, many of us have had our burdens borne by others, even here in the church, and that's a wonderful thing. Would you, by your grace, give us the energy we need to bear the burdens of others? Would you give us the confidence in your love for us that liberates us to bear the burdens for others we pray. Amen.